All right. Good morning, Faith Church. Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have you guys here. Thanks so much. Everybody showing up at our Florence campus. It's so good to have you guys here. Can we welcome everybody at our Lawrenceburg campus? It's so good to have you guys in the house. Come on, everybody at our Shoals campus. Welcome. Obviously, everybody else watching online, if you're a Faith Church family, thanks for being here or thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time with us, man, we're so glad that you decided to join us. And for all of us, come on, we say it every week that we believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, your habit, we believe if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people know that's true? Come on, can we stand to our feet one more time? Come on, can we thank God for his grace and his mercy and his peace and his provision? Come on, if you serve a good God, make some noise like you believe it. And all of our campuses, come on, let's honor him. Jesus. Come on, is anybody thankful here today? God bless you guys, man. You can have a seat. Well, welcome to week number four of Gatbo God at the box office. This is our last week. Anybody had some fun here, man? It's been good. These last couple weeks are, again, our build teams, our creative teams, our, our uh, production teams, our worship teams, man, have done such a spectacular job. Can we show them some love, man? So thankful for all of the hard work. And uh, just want to say, listen, next week, there'll be no more popcorn or milk duds or Coke or whatever, but Jesus will still be here. That's the most important thing. So make sure you come back it's, uh, it's been great to have so many f- new faces and guests. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being a part of the services. Well, listen, as we jump into week number four, uh, I just want to just have a conversation real quick. How many of you here are married? All the married people, all of our campuses lift a hand. So probably your marriage is a lot like my marriage. And when I say that, while I'm married to a tremendous woman, uh, man, I love my wife, Shauna. We get along in so many ways so well. But probably much like your marriage, we do have some conflict. Got any conflict in the house? And your conflict, probably like my conflict, oftentimes is silly. Like after you have the disagreement, you realize how silly it was. And there's one area that we kind of is cyclical in our relationship that from time to time we continue to have this disagreement on. And here's the disagreement that happens in our home with our marriage is we have two dogs. And when we let them out specifically at night, my wife and I, here's where we disagree. When she lets them out, she turns all the lights on the backyard on. And when I walk by, if I see the lights on, I turn the lights off because I'm cheap like that. (laughs) And she gets all offended for the dogs. Well, it's it's dark out there. It's like she thinks like they're blind and they can't see where they're going. Like they got a cup and a cane, like bumping into furniture on the way out. So we go back and forth. So if I let them out, turn the light on, which is really kind of crazy because I have found if the light is off and I turn the light on, you always catch the dog in the middle of his business and he looks put off like turn the light off. I'm, you're, you know, but so it's back and forth. She tells me to turn them on. I turn them off and I tell her to turn them off and she turns them on. And it's just kind of this little disagreement we have. Now, at the end of the day, at least in this case, I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> just hold on. I didn't say I'm always right. I mean, I am, but I didn't say that. Here's why I'm right. It's because dogs have excellent eyesight in the dark. Where if we go outside, we can't see as well. Dogs, and I'm not saying they have night vision. It's not like they have night vision where they can see everything. But dogs have the ability to see much clearer in the dark than we have. So while we might need some light on in the night, dogs don't necessarily need it. And that's why I turn the lights off. Now, here's why I share that. It's because while dogs have a greater capacity to see at night than we do as humans, humans by far have the best overall eyesight of any creature on the planet. 
Our creator, God, has gifted us with some incredible eyesight. But while it's incredible, it has some limitations. There are some limitations with um, the size of things we can see. If anybody's 40 plus, you're in the bifocal stage, you know what I'm talking about? Like we can only see stuff so small and now it's like we need it a little bit bigger to see it. We not only have limitations in size, we have limitations in distance. We can only see so far. And not just in size and in distance, but we are limited in the spectrum that we can see. Now, let's just have a little science lesson. Here's a picture of the electromagnetic spectrum. So this is all the stuff that's happening around us. You'll notice there's cosmic rays and gamma rays and radio waves and all these waves. And most of what's happening, we can't see it. In fact, this small section that looks like the rainbow is what the human eye can pick up. This small section of the entire spectrum is what we can see. But what you need to know is that this, all the rest of this spectrum, again, cosmic rays and x-rays and gamma rays, they're there, you just can't see them. And just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Y'all track with me. Now, here's why that's important. Again, there are entire spectrums that we cannot see. But again, just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Now, here's why that's important is because when we talk about spectrums that we can't see, there's one today for week four that I want to dig into, and it is the spiritual spectrum. Everybody say the spiritual spectrum. There is a spectrum, a spiritual spectrum that God's word talks about that you and I, we cannot see. We talk about the spiritual spectrum. First of all, I'm talking about the almighty. I'm talking about the most high. What most of us in this room, I know not all of us, some of you here, you're just kicking the tire on faith and we're glad you're here or tuning in. But most of us who are watching this, who are in one of our campuses, we're here because we believe God is real. You may not be able to see him, but just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not real. God is a spirit and exists in this spiritual spectrum. It's not just God, but the Bible talks about angels. There, there are these angelic beings that also exist. We can't see them, but are real. And not just God and angels, but then on the other side, on the other team, on the other end of the field, there are equally demons and Satan. Now, I get it. If you're new to church, I'm, even having this conversation might feel odd. It might feel weird. I'm talking about demons and devils. And, but it's an important conversation we have to have today. How many of you have seen any of the, any of the, um, the Minion movies? Right? This is the last movie we're tackling today. We're not going to show any footage, but like that's this whole thing is there's this group of minions and they're looking for a master to serve and they've hooked up with Gru to help fulfill his diabolical plans in the first movie to steal the moon. And in the same way, there really is this spiritual realm where there really are demons that have chosen the devil's side and there really is a fight and a battle that's going on that you have been, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, that you have been pulled into the fight. And so while we can't see it, now I get it. We live in an age and in a day where science is almost like a religion. And I'm very, very much pro-science, but I don't believe that science and faith are at odds with each other like many people believe. But where it's become like a religion, some people will say this, that if you can't measure it in a laboratory or see it underneath the microscope, it's not real. Well, the spiritual spectrum, you can't see it and you can't measure it, but you better believe it's real. And if for no other reason, I always go with Jesus. We've got any people on the Jesus side. Come on. Jesus clearly taught and believed in the spiritual spectrum. He clearly taught and believed specifically that there was a real spiritual enemy called Satan. In fact, when you track his ministry, what you find out is 
is that Jesus believed so much in the devil that he he resisted the devil's temptation in the beginning of his ministry. He cast out the devil's demons throughout his ministry. He taught about the devil's plans through his ministry, and he overcame the devil's power on the cross of Calvary at the end of his ministry. Come on, is anybody thankful for some of that news? So you may not buy into the spiritual spectrum, but I'm going with Jesus. And so I want us to lean into a conversation that introduces us uh, maybe to the first time on this idea about who really Satan is, at least before he became Satan. It's found in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And I, I want to just lean into one principle here that's very important for this message today as we close out the Gatbo series. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that Satan, his name was Lucifer. He was an archangel. He was at the right hand of God. He was important. All of the angels existed and there was this rebellion and we find that Satan, Lucifer, was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels with him. And here's where that's told. But I want you to hear why, what drove the rebellion. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, everybody read this, I will ascend into, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Read this with me. What did he say? I will be like the most high. Everybody say that I will be like the most high. So his opinion of himself, and maybe you heard that what got Satan cast out of heaven was his pride, his arrogance, and it was. Notice again, he said, I want to be like the most high. Here's God's response to that. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest, pit, lowest depths of the pit. Here's what I want you to hear is what was going on in Lucifer's mind. Here's what, if you're taking notes, Lucifer wanted God's worship. Let me say that again. Lucifer wanted God's worship. All the adoration, all the praise, all the celebration, all the props, all of the stuff that God was getting, the devil wanted it for himself. Lucifer wanted God's worship. He thought he was worthy of it. He didn't want God to get it. He wanted to get it. He wanted the celebration. He wanted the praise. And he wanted the worship. And because that only belongs to God, he got booted out of heaven. Now, again, we wrestle with, is this, is this thing real? Is this principle real? Is this, is this devil real? Jesus takes us on a topic that many of you guys are aware and he teaches us something about prayer. And in the conversation on prayer, he teaches us something about your spiritual enemy and mine. And he says this, I want to go through the prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through it. And when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. But the goal of the Lord's Prayer wasn't to give you a prayer to pray. It was to give you principles to pray. And he gives us five principles. How many principles? Five principles that we should use throughout our day as a part of our prayer. And he says this, first part of the Lord's Prayer, he says... Read it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first prayer principle that Jesus gives us is the principle of adoration. That what should lead your life and mind as we go through our days, we focus on how big God is, how awesome God is, how wonderful God is. I can tell you this is your pastor. I don't pray long, but I pray often. 
where I may not find myself every single day, two or three hours in a prayer closet or alone with God, you better believe if you could track with me every day, you'll hear me underneath my breath over and over repeatedly. God, I bless you. God, you're awesome. Lord, there's nobody like you. God, look, your creation speaks your Like I just try to over and over declare how good and how awesome and how amazing God is. Come on, does anybody believe that we serve a wonderful Savior? So I would just encourage you that you enact the principle of adoration throughout your day. Then he says this, your kingdom come, read it with me, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He teaches us the second principle of submission. God, not my way, but your way. How many people know that your way will get you in trouble sometimes? God, I, I need to love the way you want me to love. I need to forgive the way you want me to forgive. We need to do things God's way, submission. Then he says this, give us this day our daily bread. He teaches us the principle of provision, that there is a God you can turn to. There is a heavenly father you can pray to, and he knows what you need before you ask it. But when you come to him in humility and ask, you better believe that your father is faithful. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You have a good God who can open doors, who can make a way, and who can provide every single need you have. If he takes care of the birds of the air, how much more valuable are you than one of they? You better believe your heavenly father will take care of you too. And you can ask him and he'll answer. Come on, everybody say provision. Provision. Five principles. Adoration, submission, provision. Principle number four. This, this is an important one, by the way. Some of you pray this one a lot. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive our debtors. It's the principle of confession. Newsflash. Everybody messes up. Newsflash, everybody falls short. And I find in my day, probably much like you find in your day, there are times I think things that I shouldn't think. I say things I shouldn't have said, and I do things that I should have done. And the great news is I don't have to carry the guilt of that. I can run to a father and run to a savior. And the Bible says, if I confess my sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all, all unrighteousness. Part of your daily prayer to be like, God, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Come on, somebody. Everybody say confession. And here's, if, if you've prayed any of those, if you've prayed any of those, if you adoration, if you've prayed submission, if you've prayed uh, provision, if you've prayed confection, wave at me, wave at me. Come on, all of our campus, all of us, we probably find ourselves praying those things. But probably what we don't pray is the fifth principle of the Lord's Prayer that's just as important and valuable as the first four. And it's this. And do not lead us into temptation. Read it with me. But deliver us. But deliver us from who? But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus says, just as important as you come to me for confession, just as important as you come to me for provision, just as important that what dominates the focus of your life is how good I am, not how messed up you are. What God says is one of the most important principles are that you understand that there is a real devil and you're in a real fight. There are real consequences. But if you'll come to me and not fight this fight alone, God says, I'll go before you and I'll come behind you. I'll be your shield and your rear guard. I'll be your front man and I'll watch your six and I'll fight the fight you can't fight and I'll get the victory you can't bid. but we got to pray a prayer of protection come on somebody but watch let's be honest we're praying for submission we're praying for provision we're praying submission but be honest how often do you find yourself Lord there's a real spiritual enemy that I'm going to fight with today Lord will you help me will you deliver me from the evil one because I get it 
I'm a lot like many of you who are watching this in Lawrenceburg and Shoals here in Florence. Like sometimes we're like, really? I mean, for real, what's, what is the devil going to do? What's the big threat? What is the evil one going to do to me? I want you to notice what Jesus says. Watch this in John 10, 10. This is the goal of your spiritual enemy. The thief's purpose is to do what? Is to steal, kill, and destroy. To do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your purpose. And he wants to destroy your relationship with God. That's so heavy in here. And I'm like, I don't know if I buy it. And a lot of us, we, we hear about spiritual warfare, the spiritual spectrum, and it feels, feels disjointed. It feels archaic. But yet Jesus introduces us as his followers and says, heads up, beware, lean in. You have a spiritual enemy and his goal is to steal, kill and destroy. And again, because sometimes we don't buy it. It's like we ignore it. I remember when I got here 10 and a half years ago, uh, before I got here, uh, Brother Henry Melton pastored this church for over 40 years, pastored it with integrity and character, a great man of God who built at that time Faith Tabernacle. If you don't even know him, man, I'd love for us just to show him some honor. His family's still here, such a great man of God. And after he retired, several other pastors came through and there were just some challenges and some issues and people left the church and there were some splits and money went down and resources went down and ministries went down. And I came 10 and a half years ago and things were not in a great place. And when I came, one of the ministries that was still rocking, that was still strong, was I found out when we got here that we had a security team. <laughs> and I'll be honest, when I got here, I was like, uh, that's awesome. What do we need a security team for? Because I had this naive thinking like, you know, and so they sat me down. They're like, okay, Pastor Steve, listen, you're new here. Just so you know, we have a security team and we have people back watching our kids and making sure they're safe. And we have different security team and they sit in the worship center and they're out in the lobby. And so, you know, Pastor Steve, like every week, we're going to assign a person your own, your own personal security detail. Every week, you'll have somebody who sits behind you and watches you, who watches your six. And I remember getting here when I heard that, I was like, <laughs> no. Because, I mean, I, didn't know, I wasn't always saved. Y'all tracking with me? And I could take care of myself. And I remember sometimes seeing the people they would assign to me thinking, if something goes down, I'm probably going to have to help you more than you're going to help me. Are y'all tracking? <laughs> like, I, I'm going to have to watch out for you. Because here's why. I thought, what do you need security for? What is there a fight? What is there to fight about? Now that I've been here 10 years, I know we have incredible security who train hard, who work hard, who go through all kinds of certifications, who train with our local SWAT team, who are making sure that they have the basic medical stuff in place because most of y'all don't know this and it doesn't happen a lot, but from time to time we have cantankerous boyfriends who are pursuing old girlfriends even though they got like stuff like you shouldn't be around them. We got, we got spouses that are divorced and there's tension and every now and then our security team has to step in and they have to diffuse that stuff on a Sunday morning. We have people pass out sometimes because of medical issues in the middle of a service. You never even see that. Do you know why? Because they do their job well. And I would love it if we would just give them a hand and celebrate a security team that's helping us. Come on and keeping us safe. Here's why I share all that. 
is because I just realized it's not a matter of if something goes down, it's a matter of when something goes down. And because something will inevitably go down, I'm glad we have a security team. And if you think nothing is ever going to go down in the spiritual spectrum, you'll never be prepared. But when you understand that this fight for your life isn't a matter of if, but when, you're in a real spiritual fight with a real spiritual enemy, and you may not think so, but it's at some point we got to stand up and fight the fight if we're going to win and have the victory that God wants us to have. You got to fight. So like I'm tracking through this and I'm thinking, okay, and maybe this is your other question. What did I do to the devil? Like if he wants to get mad at God, great. But like, how did, did you ever find yourself in the middle of a gospel conversation? Like how did I end up in that conversation? What did I do to the devil? Why am I on his radar? Like, I don't have no beef with you. Why do you have a beef with me? And if you've been in church long enough, you possibly have heard a pastor say this. Why does the devil hate me? Why am I on the enemy's hit list? And you possibly have heard pastors say this. Well, the devil hates God and God loves you. Therefore, the devil hates you. You ever heard that before? Well, the devil hates God and God loves you. And therefore, the devil hates you. Now, I'm not saying that's not true. You might make that assumption, but there's no place in scripture that says that. And if you don't understand why the devil hates you, you won't win the fight. And very clearly in the life of Jesus, we start to find out what drives the devil. What is his agenda? What is his goal? I already told you, but let me tell you again. Jesus is tempted by the devil early in ministry. And very specifically, the devil targets three areas in the life of Jesus and tempts him. And the last temptation lets us know and peels back the layer of who the devil is and what drives his passion in his heart. The Bible says he takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, all of this can be yours if you will only fall down and worship me. And we face the same temptations to fall down and worship him. I already told you, Lucifer wants God's worship. Everybody say that. Lucifer wants God's worship. He's in love with himself. He's the cat that stands in the mirror and is amazed at his beauty. And he wants everybody to love him the way he loves himself. And because you won't love him the way he wants to be loved, that's why he hates you. He wants your worship and will do whatever it takes to get it. If you're taking notes, Satan loves himself. And that's what drives his hate for humanity. He loves himself and he doesn't understand why you don't love him too. He doesn't understand why you don't want to worship him. Let me make this real practical. Anybody in the house, Shoals, Lawrenceburg, anybody ever dated Jenny before? You don't, you don't know. Let me qualify Jenny because some of you have dated Jenny's before. I dated a girl when I was a sophomore in high school and she was a junior and I felt like I needed to say that. Somehow it does something for my pride and ego. So I dated this girl and, you know, you know, come, a high school romance. It was, will you date me? Yes. Circle no, like whatever. And we started dating. We hung out. I wasn't even driving at the time. I think I walked to her house a few times. But over this two-month uh, love affair, <laughs> where for six weeks I was pretty sure I was going to marry her, <laughs> like I got to the end of two months and like she just wasn't the girl for me and I broke it off with her. And as you can imagine, she was devastated. So through the two months, she had accumulated some of my stuff. She had a couple t-shirts of mine. She had an earring of mine because that's been the kiss days. I wore a big cross earring. Don't hate me. It was looking good back then. 
early 80s, I was rolling. Uh, she had a necklace of mine. And so when we broke up, I want my stuff back. And so one day I go to school after we had broke up and uh, I go to my locker and she had taken my two shirts, my necklace, my earring and whatever trinkets. And she had shredded my shirts. She had taken the necklace and broken it into a bunch of pieces. She was scorned is what she was, but she took the cross earring and bent it up. She just destroyed the stuff. Do you know why? This is important. She couldn't imagine that someone wouldn't love her the way she wanted to be loved. And because I wouldn't love her the way she wanted to be loved, she decided to hate me and try to hurt me. That's what drives the devil. He doesn't hate you because God loves you. He loves himself and because he, you won't love him, therefore he hates you. Are you all tracking me? Which means he will do whatever it takes to get your worship. Because if he can get your worship, God at first doesn't get it. And second of all, he gets what he wants. And when we talk about the devil destroying our life, like, what does that mean? What does that mean, really, the devil destroy? It's not like he can flick airplanes out of the sky, though it feels like it sometimes. If you've never heard, hit turbulence, listen, you will give your life to Jesus back in a second. Like, Lord, if we land on the ground on the wheels and not the nose, I will go to Africa. I'll do whatever you want, right? The devil can't just do whatever he wants. Let me just give you something. When the Bible talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the devil can't destroy you, but what he can do is he can deceive you into destroying yourself. Because what is worship? Lucifer wants God's worship. What is worship? See, we think worship is the songs we sing. I just want to know your heart. And worship is not the songs we sing. It's the decisions we make. Worship is not the lyrics that come out of our mouth. It's the life we live. What is worship? Worship is when we love people who are unlovable. Worship is when we forgive people the way we've been forgiven. Worship is when we're generous and not selfish. Worship is when we make decisions that are biblical, ethical, and moral, and honor our God and honor our creator, and when we live inside of the guidelines and the boundaries that he sets for our life. That's how God is worship. Come on, somebody. It's not Sunday morning. See, we, we, think, we think that Jesus, right, he's, he's, he's got parental rights on Sunday morning. <laughs> he gets us for an hour. No. And so I want you to hear this. Listen, watch, watch, watch. So when we do what honors God, that's how God gets our worship. Well, what does the devil want from you? How does he destroy your life? He wants you to worship him. He's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to try to lead you astray. Instead of doing marriage God's way, he wants you to do relationship his way. Instead of managing resources God's way, he wants you to be selfish and manage resources God's way or the devil's way. He's going to, in any area of your life, he's going to whisper, he's going to deceive, and he's going to lie to get you to do things his way. And when you do things his way, that's how he gets your worship. And so destruction is just a byproduct of disobedience. He can't do anything to destroy you, but if he can get you to live on his terms instead of God's terms, are y'all with me? If he can get you to follow his truth instead of God's truth, if he can get us to make decisions and live a life, wheels off outside of the boundaries that God has set as our creator for all of us, God doesn't get the worship that he's worthy of. And the devil gets the worship that he's been hoping to get from you. And when you live outside of God's rules, it will inevitably lead to destruction. So he can't destroy you, but he's so good. He's so good at lying. He's called a liar He's called the father of lies. 
He's called the great deceiver. Do you know why? Because he knows the human psyche far better than you do. He's been around for thousands of years. He knows weakness better than you do. He knows the God who created you better than you do. He knows the scriptures you read better than you do. Based on his knowledge and his experience, that's why he's so good. I don't know about you, but I can stand. I have fallen for some tricks in my time. I have fallen for some deception in my time. Anybody here honest enough to say that you've gone along with, for his ride at some point in your life? Like all of us, why? You look back and think like, how did I make that decision? Because he's good at it. If you're taking notes, the devil deception is always about doubting God's word. See, if he's a deceiver, there's got to be a standard for truth. What is the standard of God's truth? It's his word. It's his word. And when you know God's word and you follow, that's how you worship God. And when you know God's word, but you choose not to follow it, that's how the devil gets his worship and destroys our lives. And so what's the answer? How do we fight the fight? How do we win? Like, where's this devil? Like, I'll take him all. Where is he? Well, he's in a spiritual spectrum that we can't see, but there's still a way to fight. And the secret's found in James chapter well, it says James chapter four, verse seven. I want us to read this together. All of our campuses, every voice. Here's the secret to win the fight. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will. Let's try that as a church, every voice. One more time. What do we do? We submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Let's do that this way. I'm going to orchestrate this thing up here. This side over here, you guys are. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Let's beatbox this. Okay, ready? What do we do? We submit to God. Was the cafe closed when y'all got here? Did y'all get the decaf? I'm going to give you one more chance and that's it. Lawrenceburg, I know we got three segments up there. Shoals, it's one more time. Here you go. What is it? We spiritual enemy. We're in a fight we can't see. The goal is to live our life on his terms. He gets our worship and ipso facto, our lives get destroyed. How do we fight the fight? How do we win? We got to know God's truth. And so it says, submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. What does it mean to submit to God? It's ultimately to come underneath the umbrella of his authority. I choose to live life God's way. Well, what is God's way? God's way is God's word. So I don't want to love my enemy, but I submit. I don't want to forgive them because you don't know what they did to me, but I choose to submit. I don't want to be generous. I want it all for me, but I choose to submit to God. What does it mean to resist the devil? To understand the word resist is probably best understood. What is the opposite of the word that James uses? The opposite of the word resist is to come into agreement with. What God is saying is come into agreement with what I say. Don't come into agreement with what the devil says. If you'll believe my word and not the devil's word, if you'll do things my way and not the devil's way, what'll happen? He'll flee. Y'all really hurt my feelings up here. I mean, I'm sweating. I'm doing all this work. You guys really are just sitting there. One more time. Rods, one more time. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, see, here's his fight. When he lies to us and he deceives us, his greatest deceptions, so you know, is trying to lie to you about who God is and who you are. That's it. Who is God? This world has all kinds of messages on who God is and who God is not. When you read the truth, you find out that you serve a good God, a heavenly father. He's a shepherd who leads you beside still waters. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He provides for you better than he provides for the birds of the air. He is gracious. His mercy endures for a thousand generations. Come on, is my track with me? We serve a good God, a gracious God, a wonderful savior who carried it all on the cross of Calvary. That's who God is. Who are you? I know what the world says. The world says, oh, you're wonderful. Oh, you just, you're precious. I know you got a grandma that'll pinch your cheek and tell you how precious you are. That's not what the word says. The word says you're jacked up. The word says that our hearts, your heart, my heart, white hearts, black hearts, Republican hearts, Democrat hearts, American hearts, Indian, whoever you are, wherever you're from, however long ago you were born or you're not yet born, when you get here, our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. Out of the mess of our hearts comes covetousness and racism and hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. It's in all of us. But thankfully, God didn't leave us in our mess. When we confess our brokenness, he comes and gives us a brand new heart and makes us children of God. So who is God and who are you? The devil will tell you that you're a pretty good person and you don't need no help. And God is horrible. And he just is out to ruin everybody's life. How important is it for you to believe what's right? There was a study done. There's been lots of studies. You can do a little bit of research and find this stuff. This is not the first time this type of study was done, but I thought this one was interesting. What they did was they took three groups of free throw shooters, not basketball players, but just grabbed some people and said, are you willing to be a part of our study? And in group number one, everyday people, some basketball players, non-basketball players, some athletic people, some non-athletic people, they lined them up. Group number two, they lined them up. Group number three, they lined them up. University of Chicago did this study. What they found was they shot free throws and they tracked the general percentage of group one. Second group shot free throws. They tracked the general percentage of group two. Group three shot free throws and they tracked the general percentage of group three. And then they gave each group different instructions. Group one, they said this. For the next month, I want you every day for one hour to practice free throws. Every day, one hour a day, for the next 30 days, practice free throws. Group number three, and it's fitting, I think, they said, just don't do anything at all, just sit there. <laughs> Y'all can handle that. Don't practice, don't pick up a basketball, don't think basketball, just don't do anything. Group number two, you know what they said? Shoals. Lawrence Ferry, they told group number two, we don't want you to pick up a basketball, but every day for an hour, we want you to shoot mental free throws. And every time you shoot a free throw, say this to yourself, I can make a free throw. Mentally see yourself and say it, I can make a free throw, an hour a day. You know what they found out at the end of one month? Group number one who practiced an hour a day, their shooting percentage went up 24% because practice makes not perfect, but 24%. <laughs> Group number three, who didn't touch a ball, you know what they found? Their shooting percentage, it didn't change. Makes sense. 
want you all to hear this. The group that didn't touch a basketball, who believed they could make free throws and practiced mentally every day and declared, I can make a free throw. You know what they found out? Their shooting percentage went up 23%, almost as much as a group who practiced an hour every day. So if you don't think it matters what you believe about you and what to believe, if you believe being a better free throw shooter makes you a better free throw shooter, what would happen if you really believe that God is good, God is gracious, God is just, God is merciful, God is a heavenly father, he's sovereign, he's in control, he's big. You stop letting the devil lie to you. What if you started believing that you're adopted in the family of God, that you're a child of God, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? What would happen if you began to believe that God fights for you, God fights through you? What would happen if you quit getting busted and disgusted about everything that happens in life, but you believe that God is working all things together for my good. God's on my side. God's working through me and for me. And I want to give him glory in every season, every decision I make. What would happen if we began to think right and think biblical? God gets his worship and the devil loses his worship. If we will submit to God, resist the devil, what will happen? He'll flee. You can't resist if you don't know the truth. And you won't resist if you don't believe the truth. So we're all in a fight. God wants us to have the victory. And he made it possible through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and by the standard of God's word. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that, Lord, if nothing else today, that God, there will just be a new awareness of the fight that all of us are in. There is a spiritual spectrum. There's a battle going on and we're a part of it, whether we like it or not. But Lord, I pray that you will help us begin to fight to submit ourselves to God, to resist the enemy. Help us, God, in every area of life to say, God, not my way, but your way. Lord, help us to discern and know the whispers of the enemy that want to lie to us and deceive us and get us off track. And God, as we do life your way, as we submit to you, Father, that's where the victory's at. And that's where real life is to be found. Listen, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's where the journey begins is submitting your life to God by saying, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I'm broken and you're the only one who can heal me. That's what starts this journey. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And if you've never given your life to Jesus or today you wanna recommit your life to Christ, at all of our campuses, you can pray this simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe that I'm broken inside, that I'm a sinner, but you're a glorious savior who carried all of my sin on the cross. Forgive me come into my life and help me to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees said amen.